And uh, so anyway, I want to pick up where I've been sharing with you. We're speaking on the Lord's Prayer. And because this coming year, we need to lift our prayer life. Prayer brings the reality of heaven to earth. If you're not experiencing the reality of heaven, chances are there's very little prayer, very little faith. And faith unlocks heaven for us. It brings the reality of God. And uh, uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been focusing on uh, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, The disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. So he taught them how to pray. Uh, another time, and the part we're going to look at in Matthew chapter six, in Matthew chapter six, Jesus observed how the Pharisees were praying, and he pointed out, "I don't want you to pray like this. Let me show you how you should pray." So prayer uh, is not meant to be just something we do; it's meant to engage God. So I have found, as I've started to study this prayer, I've got a fresh love for it. I found myself weeping each time I've looked at various aspects of it. And today, as we share on one another aspect of it, I felt again the Spirit of God just causing just a huge uh, uh, fire to burn in my heart again, because the revelation of God's kingdom is what has shaped my life. And uh, so let's just, uh, uh, first of all, we'll pick up in, in Matthew chapter 6. Might as pick it up from there. Matthew chapter 6, and he said, don't be like them, verse 8, but this man, verse 9, this is how you should pray, our Father in heaven hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts uh, as we forgive our debtors, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. So Jesus gave an outline, he didn't mean that we should just memorize it and pray it just as an prayer that you just recite, which is what it's reduced to. Uh, in fact, actually, the prayer is a, like a framework and a structure that would help you build a meaningful prayer life. You can use the Lord's Prayer to fully occupy an hour or more in prayer if you know how to do it. Most people don't know how to do it. If we don't have some structure to our prayer life, we tend to get shorter and shorter until it diminishes away. So we need both the empowering of the Holy Spirit as we pray, and we also need to have some structure that we are flowing through as we pray. It helps give focus to your prayer, and it helps open up heaven for us. So Jesus taught how to pray. Now, this is not the only prayer. There's many other examples where Jesus prayed, and he didn't use this prayer at all. So it's not that this is the only prayer, but within this prayer, there is the structure of a meaningful prayer life how you could build your prayer life. And we saw that uh, the first word we noticed was our, and we see that the word our turns up right through the prayer. In other words, the first thing to be conscious of is we are part of a family. We're born into the family of God when we receive Jesus Christ, and we can call God as Father, our Father. We can come to Him. He loves us. He's interested in every detail of your life. He's interested in your success. He's interested in your destiny. He's interested in everything that concerns you. He's a loving father, a generous father, so we can come into his presence. And we saw, as we looked at that, the second aspect of it, hallowed be your name. The name we saw represented the reputation. It represented the character of the person. And so, as we looked at this uh, last week or so, we saw our Father in heaven. May your name be hallowed. You are 
filling up all the vastness of the heavens, and yet you're as near as the air I breathe. So, hallowed be your name. In other words, let your name be respected and honored by my life, and may your name manifest in the earth. And so we looked at those things. Now, I want to pick up today the next part, and that is uh, your kingdom come. Now, if you'll have a notice, when Jesus is teaching about prayer, most of us, when we come to God, we come because we have great needs. We need something. We need a breakthrough. We need this. We need that. But you notice, if you look at this prayer, Jesus says, if you want to build an effective prayer life, don't start with you and don't start with your needs. Start with God, our Father, and give honor to Him. Come into His presence full of worship. Come and spend time honoring who He is, and then pray for His concerns. Notice it says the first three petitions of prayer. Your name, your reputation, your honor be magnified. Your kingdom come, not my kingdom, and your will be done. So the first part of this prayer focuses on God's interests, not ours. We tend to be absorbed with our own interests, and we focus on those. So we want to particularly look today at this part of the prayer, your kingdom come. So firstly, what is the kingdom? When we think of that, uh, the word kingdom has got very little meaning. You hear it in church, you don't hear it very often in any other place. You hear it if you look in the Middle East, the kingdom of Jordan and, and places like that. And if you were to go into a country like that, you would realize that it's quite different to New Zealand. We're used to parliament. We're used to a far-off, remote, figurehead sovereign, the queen. We, we, so we, it shapes how we think. But if you were to live in a country like Jordan, you'd know the king has absolute power. The king has absolute authority. In fact, uh, they know the, the place there is his kingdom. It's his realm over which he rules. And what he wants gets done. You don't mess with the kingdom. Uh, if you were to go to Thailand, you'd find a similar thing. You don't stand up in the movies to honor the king, you're in trouble. You say anything contrary to the king, you'll end up in prison. So in countries like that, I know everything is not all well with those, but you get thinking about kingdom that we don't have in a Western culture which is democratic. So when we come, the word kingdom is something we hear in church, but often we don't understand what that would mean. And so we need a, a bit of a definition. If we look at the beginning of the Bible, we find that the first reference to it is God made man in his own image and said, let them have dominion. Let man extend our rule in the earth. You were designed for dominion. You're designed to rule. You're designed to act as God's representative to advance his kingdom. So as we look at the history of the Bible, we see how man fell, the kingdom was lost, the power, the glory, the majesty that God gave the original man was lost, and now we find ourselves uh, enslaved to sin and all kinds of issues. And Jesus came to restore that. So uh, in the days when Jesus came, his first message was, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. It's accessible. It's not far off, way out there. The kingdom, the realm where God rules, the realm where what He purposes is done is near to us. Right here, right now, not far away. That was His message. A radical message. Most people don't understand the message of the kingdom very well. So we want to share a little bit about what it means to pray, Father, that Your kingdom will come. 
What would that mean to pray that? It's not just I pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not that. It's actually, Father, I'm born into your kingdom, into a realm that's in the heavens and in the earth. And my desire is linked to your desire that your kingdom will come. So when it refers to the kingdom, it's referring to the rule of God. It's where what God has purposed and designed is being done. In other words, where the kingdom exists, then God's design is being fulfilled. So the kingdom of heaven manifesting would mean that love, people feel loved, people feel accepted, people experience peace, people experience joy, people experience healing, people experience deliverance, people experience prosperity, people experience unity, people experience uh, life in a realm that we long for. We are praying for something that exists in the spirit world to come into reality in our world. We're praying for God's presence to manifest in me and through me and around me. I want to see the reality of God. So to pray for the kingdom to come is to pray for the reality of God to be manifest in our lives, to be manifest around us. The word kingdom means literally a territory, a realm, a place where everything functions as God designed it to function. You only have to look around you and you find things aren't functioning like that. People don't behave that way. People can be very mean and very selfish. People, there's all kinds of strife and conflicts. In fact, everywhere you look, you see things are not as God intended it to be. So praying for God's kingdom to come is about understanding what God has designed and calling that into being and being a part of it. Remember when we sought, we pray, last week we shared when you pray, uh, hallowed be your name. It's not just a prayer that God's honor and reputation be established. It's also a commitment to be a part of that happening. That my life would represent God well. So people would look and say, man, what God you serve. So God's name is dishonored by the life we live. And same as we pray for the kingdom to come. Now, praying for your kingdom to come is not just about praying that God's uh, presence will be here. It's also, of course, a commitment that I will surrender to what God wants and be a part of it happening. Oh, well, that's where there's a conflict straight away because I've got my own ideas what I want. Thank you very much. And so when we start to pray, thy kingdom come, there are two key aspects of it. I mean, there are many things we could share, and I'll try to condense it into two primary aspects. Number one, there is a future aspect to this. So when we're praying, Lord, your kingdom come, there's a whole realm of what God is going to do one day that the Bible speaks of from one end to the other. It speaks of the great coming of Jesus Christ in power and glory, and his uh, overthrowing of the kingdoms of this world and establishing his rule in the earth. So if I pray, your kingdom come, I'm praying and fixing my eyes on a great hope that one day my Jesus will return in power and glory. One day the kingdoms of this earth will become the kingdoms of God. One day all the wars and conflicts will go. 
So to pray for the kingdom of God to come is to look ahead to a great day of His visitation in the earth. A great day. This is the hope that we look for. This is what all creation is waiting for. So one aspect, of course, is the coming kingdom, a future aspect. Another aspect is the kingdom now. In Luke 17 and verse 20 to 21, Jesus said, The kingdom of God comes not with observation. It's not outside you. It is within you. So one aspect of the kingdom is his return in power and glory, something in the future. Another aspect of his kingdom is his presence being manifest now within us and through us. Two aspects of that. One, when we're praying for the kingdom to come, we're praying that God's presence will fill my life, that his nature will be seen in me, that his life will be manifest through me. We'll look at that in a bit more detail shortly. Secondly, I'm praying that his power will flow through me because you and I are called to bring the power of God to people, to pray for the sick, to cast out demons, to bring blessing, to uh, confront spirits. We're called to participate in expanding his kingdom. In fact, he will not return until this gospel of the kingdom is preached throughout every nation on the earth. So there's a future aspect and there's a present aspect. And we're going to look at both of them just briefly and, uh, and consider them. Each one of them has, a, has an important aspect in our prayer life. Firstly, the future kingdom, the coming kingdom. When the disciples heard Jesus talk about the kingdom of God, what did they think of? Well, what they thought of, because of their history, they equated the kingdom of God with the kingdom of Israel. Because God by his mighty power, called Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, set them free, called them to be a nation, a, a kingdom of priests unto himself. And he said, I will be your king. And he set up laws. And God intended that Israel would live as a nation, a kingdom representing God, the kingdom of heaven, manifest on the earth. People would look at Israel, see the blessings, see the favor, see the glory, see the blessings of God in it, and say, whoa, we want that. Why isn't our nation like that nation? And so God gave them laws. He gave them uh, instructions about every aspect of how to run their life, run their nation. And those laws were designed to bring great blessing and to become the envy of all the other nations. And so when David ascended to the throne and became the king, the nation expanded occupied the greater area of territory, and under Solomon, it prospered and became wealthy. People came to see the temple, see and feel the presence of God. And as David was saying, uh, the, the presence of God was so strong, the glory of it all, her breath was taken away. <gasps> That's what that means. <gasps> I heard about it, but now I'm seeing it and experiencing it. This is stunning. She was a queen of a country, a prosperous country, and yet when she came into Israel and felt the presence of God and saw the glory of the temple and the, and the way everything was done and the manner of it and the order of it, she was, <gasps> I never thought it could be that good. And immediately she gave because she was stunned by what she saw. So when Jesus talked about the kingdom, that's what they were thinking of. They were thinking of a territory, a king, 
of prospering. Here they were living under Romans. Their nation had failed and fallen and been conquered. Now they're living in bondage. So when Jesus spoke of the kingdom, kingdom, awesome. He's going to lead a revolution. He's going to raise up an army. He's going to overthrow the Romans. This is great. When are you going to restore the kingdom? That was their prayer. In fact, when the people saw the miracles, they saw, man, this is the coming king. They wanted to make him king by force. They were very disappointed when he wouldn't cooperate. When he said, no, 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 no. The kingdom is within you. Huh? What? That doesn't register with us. Come on. We know about David. We want the days of David. We want the days of Solomon. We want the days of glory and majesty and riches and prosperity. That's what we want. We want Rome. We want to get rid of Rome. They're thinking of a military kingdom, a political kingdom, a wealthy kingdom. That's what they're thinking of. So when Jesus, was, when Jesus came into the city, they say, Oh, Hosanna, he that comes in the name of the Lord. They're thinking the king is coming. We're about to have a revolution. Three days later, you're not going to be the king. Kill him. That's what happened. He disappointed them because he came to introduce the kingdom of heaven. They only saw the natural. They saw the result of the kingdom of heaven in Israel's history. They didn't have the source. They'd let go the source. They abandoned the source. They wanted a king like everyone else. That's what got them in this mess. So Jesus taught about a coming kingdom. So one aspect, of course, is the kingdom coming. Now, many people today look at the world's news and they get overwhelmed by all the disasters, the wars, the conflicts, global warming, all these other kinds of things because there's there's no hope. There's no sense of overarching biblical hope. And the Bible abounds in biblical hope. It abounds in promises of what the world will become like one day. And so as believers... We live today in the world facing challenges, and we need the kingdom to come now, but there is also a hope we have of one day a coming kingdom. So when we are praying, oh, your kingdom come, there should be something in your mind when you're thinking about that. Now, I can't, I don't want to spend time on it because it would take me away from just getting to the, re, the, the practical of how to pray. But I do want to share just a few scriptures. Let me read a few. In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2, Daniel had a vision of that day. So I'll just read you a few scriptures. Won't talk about them too much, but let's just read the scriptures. Daniel had a vision of the end times. And in verse uh, chapter 2, and it says, There was a stone struck the image, became a mountain that filled the whole earth. And verse 44, he explains it in the days of these kings. In other words, in the end times, it's not yet come, but there is a day coming, and this is going to be true, that the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. This kingdom shall not be left to another people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and shall stand forever. He's saying there is a day coming When God's kingdom, even though it looks small, will expand and fill the whole earth and it'll overthrow every other kingdom. See, we live in in my lifetime, we've seen uh, 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 Britain 
fade away from all its glory. I've seen America rise and now it's starting to fade and you've got another nation's coming. But that's been the history of mankind. Nations rise, nations fall. We went to Rome and you see Rome was an amazing, amazing kingdom, but it's fallen. And so whatever you see in the world today, it may look powerful, it may look really important, but it will fall. All kingdoms will fall. The kingdoms of this world will eventually be ruled over by Jesus Christ. What a great hope we have. We don't need to live in fear of what ISIS may be doing, in fear of what Russia or China or America, anyone else is doing. We live with a great hope. It's called the coming of Jesus Christ. So when we pray thy kingdom come, we're praying for the king to come. We're praying for the return of the king. The return of the king in power and majesty to rule, subdue all his enemies. 2 Peter 1.6, he said, we're not been speaking fables. We made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we were eyewitnesses of his majesty when we were with him in the mountain and he was transfigured. We saw him in his glory coming. That's why the disciples were full of hope. That great hope, the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the church, our great hope is not that this year will go well. Dear Lord, that's too small. Our great hope is the appearing of Jesus Christ. Our great hope is in our God, who's conquered life and death. We'll come again and we'll rule. In Revelations Uh, It tells us in 11 verse 15, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. He shall reign forever. So the angel announces. That announcement hasn't been made yet, but when it's made, there will be an upheaval in the earth. There'll be a very big upheaval in the earth. There'll come a time when there'll be an announcement in the heavens and there will be the advancement of God's kingdom catastrophically in the earth. Right now it advances like a seed, like leaven, growing slowly, advancing slowly. But at the coming of the Lord, it's cataclysmic. In other words, it upheaves the whole earth. The whole earth upheaves. And people read the book of Revelation. They get all upset about, you know, all the kind of things that will happen in the earth and hope that they'll get out of it. Listen, this is the, the focus of the book of Revelation is the coming of Jesus Christ to rule and reign. It's about the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's about him, not about all the other stuff. Matthew 16 and verse 27, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with all his angels, and he shall reward each man according to their works. So the Bible promises of the coming of Jesus Christ. When the disciples saw him arise into heaven, the angel said, don't worry, he shall return in the same way you saw him go. He shall come in power and majesty. He came into this world as a lamb. He will come back as a lion of the tribe of Judah. He will come to rule. He will come to assert his dominion and no one will withstand him. You have to see that. Otherwise, you become overwhelmed by the bigness of the world's problems and the difficulties of them all and lose sight our Father in heaven. Oh, your kingdom come in all its glory. Notice it says he will reward us. Now, of course, a lot of people live like the kingdom isn't coming and there is no reward. And if you don't understand there is a kingdom coming and there is a reward, then you won't understand the importance of how you live your life now. Living your life now is not about whether I'm good enough to get into heaven. Christ solved that for us. 
living our life now is whether we advance the kingdom of God and act as his representatives. It's about whether God's name is honored because of the life we live. You see, one, this is an amazing prayer. Oh, thy kingdom come. Oh, there's so many scriptures like it. Verse 20, uh, Revelation 20, verse 6. And we shall reign with him a thousand years. So there is a point in history where the kingdoms of the world will fail and the kingdom of our God and his Christ, his anointed body, shall be established. And that will go for a thousand years. And imagine a thousand years, no wars, no violence, no crime, everything of those kind come to an end. Imagine what it would be like when there's no wars and battles and no need for armies, where the world has changed because peace has come. The devil's been put in jail a thousand years, and now a peace comes. The atmosphere feels different. The earth begins to produce, and the nations begin to change. Right now, it tells us, that we look in the, in, the, in the newspapers, and you see everyone has got their attention on Israel, and they're all against Israel. Why is that so? Because behind the kingdoms of this world is a spiritual kingdom that understands that Israel will be the focus of where the Lord will dwell. And so it tells us in Isaiah 2 and verse 2, it says, Oh, he says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be exalted above all the mountains, and all nations will flow into it. Imagine it, a global revival in the house of God. It says in Ezekiel that God will reach into every nation of the earth and he will take his people out of those nations and bring them back and plant them in their own nation and put his name there. Israel shall be a joy. It says in Isaiah, they shall say, come and all nations shall say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of our God. What amazing future lies ahead for the world. A glorious future. But you see, for many Christians, this is not revelation. It's just a bit of information. But when it's revelation to you, oh, it changes your perspective. You live differently. So to pray your kingdom come is to set our focus on a great hope of the coming of Jesus Christ and what that means and it makes me willing to align my life with him because there's a lot at stake. There's my eternal destiny with him is at stake, depending on how I serve him now. So now let's look at the second aspect of thy kingdom come, which is the manifestation of the reality of Christ in our lives right now. So notice what Jesus said in Matthew 4 verse 17, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near us. Let me read for you a verse in Romans 14. We tend to think of heaven being a long way off because of our thinking about heaven. But that's not the way the Bible describes it. The Bible describes the heavens as very close to us. Now, Romans chapter 14, notice what it says here about the kingdom. Four, verse 17, the kingdom of heaven is not external about rules and regulations and do this and don't do this. It is about righteousness, right relationships. Now, that's something you can experience now. Right with God. Right with one another. You can experience that now. When God's kingdom comes now, my relationships change. Peace. 
Peace is not that there's nothing going on around me. There's no conflict surprises. There's nothing to do with that. It's a peace internally. I am at deep rest no matter what's going on around me because my life is in God's hands. That's a reality. You know what the reality for most people is? They live with anxiety and fear. That's why they take so many pills. That's why they can't sleep at night. That's why they're stressed out. Why are people stressed out? Because the kingdom is not first in their life. Something else is. There are other priorities. And so worry, fear, overwhelms. Now look at a promise that Jesus made concerning specifically this area of anxiety and fear. He spoke in the end times. He said that fear will be on the whole face of the earth. People will be afraid and some will have heart attacks and die because it's so overwhelming some of the things that are happening. But he said, not so among you. If the kingdom is in your life, you live in peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's not a joy you get by taking pills. It's a joy that comes from a person. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we are praying for the Holy Spirit to take charge of our life and manifest His presence in our life. We're praying for our life to become ordered in God's ways, according to His words. We're inviting the Holy Spirit to lead us. Because the fruit of that is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, long-suffering. The fruit of that is that love flows out of our heart to touch the lives of people around us. That is the kingdom coming. It's not some big deal that you're waiting for. One day I'll die and get to heaven. Jesus didn't preach anything about that really. He preached about praying that the kingdom, where God's order and way of doing things would be established in your life now and then through you. In the world, you notice there's a huge amount of competition. Everyone wants to get ahead. Well, there is a way of getting ahead, but it's not the way the world thinks. He said in the kingdom of God, he said, if you want to be great, become a servant. So the kingdom, when it's manifesting, is a people that are loving and serving one another. So when you were praying, God, your kingdom come, yes, there's one aspect where it's glorious and there's an upheaval and the world goes into turmoil and order is established and things have a season of a thousand years of prosperity we've never seen in history. But there's another part, and that is very simply this, that your life comes into order now and you become a loving, serving person instead of a selfish person. That's why Jesus directs the prayer towards the Father's interests, not your own. And so when we pray for your kingdom to come, we're praying for the presence of God to increase in our life and us become more like Him. We're praying uh, for the power of God to be manifest, for the kingdom of heaven is not just word but in power. 1 Corinthians 4.20 The gifts of the Spirit are given to every believer to profit everyone. Notice God wants to impart to you the Holy Ghost so you can carry His nature and give you His power so you can reveal His nature. So how many Christians are flowing in the presence of God, experiencing that presence, beginning to grow in His character and releasing the giftings of the Spirit? Unfortunately, not enough. But that's what it means when we say, pray your kingdom come. We're praying for the realities of heaven, healing, deliverance, peace, joy, the love of God, serving to be in the earth in my life now.
That's what you're praying. Oh, that sounds glorious. Sounds very exciting. Oh, God, how a church full of people that are loving one another, that are serving one another, where selfishness and self-promotion has been put to the cross. Oh, that's a great, great thing to look forward to. That's a great thing to be praying for, isn't it? (laughs) The key issue, of course, it's not come and watch me and help me advance my kingdom. So many people, when they pray thy kingdom come, are really praying, God, I'm not really interested in your kingdom. You can do what you want. It's way up in heaven anyway. I'm here stuck on earth with my problems. I want you to come and help me fix my problems. (laughs) That's the mentality people have. That's not kingdom mentality. That's actually my kingdom. It's about me and like I do in every area of life, about using people. Now we try to use God to make life nicer. And unfortunately, if you have no revelation of the kingdom, you will use prayer and you'll use every device you learn from the Word of God to try and extort something from God. Even giving. Give so I can get. I mean, what a deal. I give 10 bucks and get 100. That's got to be a good deal. I'll give. You understand? But the, the spirit behind it it's not, I want to honor God who's blessed me with everything. Oh, I will be a sower. Of course I'll reap. That's the nature of those things. That's a big difference to give. Now, let me see what's coming my way. Do you understand? That's using the principles of God and trying to, you still haven't got the message. It's still all about you and your kingdom. It's still living out of lack and need instead of out of joy and abundance. God is a good God. If I don't get a meal, it's not so bad. I have one later on. You know, it, it, it's, it's a perspective thing. Rather, when we pray, thy kingdom come, we're saying, Lord, come and rule my life. Take charge of my life. So there are a number of consequences. And this is the core, this is the core thing, or one of the core things about the kingdom. For the kingdom to come means someone is in charge of your life. So when you're praying the kingdom come, You're praying for the Father to come and rule in your life. You're praying that your life will become aligned with the Word of God and the Spirit of God. You are praying for your life to be aligned with God's Word, God's Spirit. That's what we're praying. See, because you can't separate the two. God's words, the word of a king is, there is power. So one of the things is we'll share a little bit later. If you want to build a great prayer life, begin to pray the Word of God. There's great power in it. But to pray the word of God, you've got to agree with it, believe it, and align with it. So what we tend to want in the, in the modern contemporary church is experiences that make us feel good rather than a life of alignment with the king and his kingdom. And that's where the power is. So I go all over the world. I see people desperate and hungry for just a touch of God. But not so many will align their life and say, Father, your rule in my life, your kingdom come. You see, if I'm going to pray for the kingdom of God to come, there's some things have to come to an end. And those are the things that we don't want to end. And yet, if we will put an end to them, then the kingdom can come. Because there can't be two kings. You know, when Herod... 
heard that Jesus was born, there's another king born, the king of the Jews, he was immediately, Herod the king was upset. Another king means a conflict. There can't be two kings in the household. There can't be two kings in your life. Someone is king. And for most of us, it's me. It's what I want, what I like, what everything, see? So, so this prayer is the engaging initially of a conflict. Lord, I welcome you to come and to rule my life, and I am also willing to make the changes that are appropriate for that to happen. Now, that is really quite deep. What does that mean? Well, it means at least three things, probably lots of other things, but here's three things it does mean. Here's the first one. It does mean recognizing the authority of God. For me, one of the greatest revelations that came with the kingdom of heaven was that God is in charge. He has a right to rule. He has a right to rule. He has a right to rule. And he rules not only directly by his word and spirit, but he also rules through delegated authorities. So when you're praying for the kingdom to come, you're saying, Lord, I submit to recognize your authority and right to direct my life. The core of sin is, I want to do what I want to do. God and everyone else, help me get there. Help me succeed with my ambitions. So the first thing is recognizing God's authority. Second is the letting go of selfish ambition, self-promotion. If you're wanting God to advance you, stop trying to advance yourself. In James 3, 14 to 16, it said, Wherever there's bitterness and selfish ambition, there will be strife and demons and every evil work. What causes the conflicts people want and they fight to get what they want? They promote themselves. Now, you don't have to go far among Christians to find self-promotion. Pushing themselves forward. If you're going to push yourself forward, it's you and your kingdom. It's not the kingdom of God. You're basically saying, I'm in charge. I will advance my kingdom. Now, if you're going to be in charge of your kingdom, then you have to fight all the battles and you have to prevail over everyone who's a competitor and you have to watch out lest anyone depose you. But if it's God's kingdom, then you can trust him to get you where he wants to get you. And even if there's injustices, he can get you past all of that. So in Philippians 2.13, it says, let nothing be done out of selfish ambition. Because that leads to promoting yourself, using people to get ahead. You can't believe how many people in the course of my ministry have used me to get ahead. And the moment you can't help them anymore, they don't think you can get them any further ahead, they drop you and go somewhere else. That's called self-promotion. Exploiting people to get you where they want, where, where, where they want to get. So, so what it means is letting go hidden agendas. It means letting go advancing myself means letting go, trying to build my reputation. And that's not so easy to do because people really want that. Really want that. They really want everyone to think well of them. Isn't that true? It means letting go of the desire to push myself forward and get recognition. To look good. To get a great CV. To really have it out there on Facebook. What a lie. It's only a piece of the truth. The real person is quite different. There's not more to them than what you see on Facebook. See? So it's letting go of those things. And Jesus warned in Matthew 6, he said, don't be like the Pharisees. They do everything to gain an impression among people. It's all about self-promotion. 
He said, rather, in this kingdom, your father will reward you if you just do things to please him. And that takes a revelation because we somehow are so ingrained with this thought, if I'm going to get ahead, it's up to me. I've got to fight everyone and I've got to make myself known. But what if God could get you where he wants to get you? What if God could promote you, bring you forward, advance you without you having to help him out? Well, God, I just thought I'd help you out. Well, you know, Abraham had a good idea like that. That's what got the Arabs over there now. It was a great idea. I'll help you out, Lord. It wasn't such a good idea in the end. It caused a lot of conflicts. God can get you where he wants to get you. It's just he's got his own time frame for it. And we get impatient and we push and shove and try to get ourselves ahead. So we're praying like kingdom come. We're saying, I surrender, Lord. I surrender to your time frame. I surrender to your, if, you, if I'm just going to be unnoticed and served, that's okay with me because my father who sees in secret will reward openly. Jesus made a promise. Do not do that. Do this. Don't do it out in the front of people. Do it here quietly where God sees you. Do your giving. Do your praying. Do your fasting. Do your serving. Don't do it to impress people. Do it to be seen of your father. He watches it all. He can get you ahead. You don't have to worry. Oh, you get all very quiet. In, in, in Matthew 6, 33, says, listen, if you put God first and his kingdom first, seek first the kingdom of God, the things everyone fights for will come into your life. God will bring them in. Put his interest first, the things you need and want. He already knows you need them. He'll bring them into your life. Maybe not at the time you want or when you want or how you want, but he will bring them into your life and he will bless you. And the last thing is to surrender silo thinking. Silo thinking means it's about me and my walk with God. But the whole of the Lord's Prayer is about our, our Father, our sin, our daily bread. It's about a corporate thing. So it's not about my ministry. I need my ministry to get ahead. How can I use you to get ahead? That's what people do. Because what they're looking for is recognition. They're looking for something missing that only God can give. There's never enough recognition that people can give you that will meet that need. Only learning to surrender and say, God, I will put your honor first and you will honor me. I will advance your kingdom first and you will raise me up. I will serve you and be obedient and you will lift me up like you lifted Jesus up. It's a way of living life. It's a praying, Father, that your rule would come in my life. Your presence would come in my life. And I am confident if I put that first, you will look after my needs. Beginning of the teaching on prayer, Jesus said, you don't have to tell God all your needs. He already knows them. This is how you pray. Our Father, who loving, kind, and tender, who cares about me, who cares about each of us, who's called me into his family, who's shown such love that he rescued me and lifted me up and placed me into his family. Father, you live in the heavens and the realm all around me, so vast and yet so very close. Father, I want to honor your name. Lord, today, I want to thank you and praise you. I want you to know how grateful I am to you for the privileges that you have given me. Father, I honor you. I honor your name. You're an almighty, powerful God. 
and I respect and honor you. My prayer, Father, is that I'll live a life that will bring honor to that name, that your reputation will grow, not mine, that you will increase, not me, that people will see your presence in my life and come to know that our God is a great God, that you would, your presence would so much be in our church that people would be attracted. Father, I pray for your kingdom to come. I thank you of a great day coming. Oh, when the heavens will part and Christ himself will come, today I look forward to that great day. I give myself to preparing myself and to serving this great and coming King, knowing of a great day that lies ahead. And Lord, the calling to serve you and rule with you. Today, I pray for your rule in my heart. Make me more loving. Make me kinder. Let the presence of your Spirit so fill me that I will flow out and reveal you to those around me. Lord, your word declares, don't let your liberty be an occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. Teach me to serve and to love people regardless of what I feel. Teach me to serve when everyone else is selfish. Today, Lord, I surrender to your word and your authority. I pray that your presence would fill my life. Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, manifest your presence so people feel loved when they're near me. So they see God in me. So they see God in our church. Holy Spirit, increase your power. So as I lay hands on the sick, I'll see miracles. Increase your power in our church so it becomes a place of healing, deliverance, prosperity. Father, may your kingdom come. Today, I surrender. I turn away from trying to promote myself, from hidden agendas. I want to serve you and people with no agenda except one of gratitude and love for you. Father, your kingdom come. I just sense the presence of God very powerfully. I can feel the Holy Spirit. Perhaps there's some today need to come and just build an altar to the Lord. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, the first thing you could do would be to open your life and receive the King into your heart. That's how a kingdom becomes established. We invite Jesus Christ to forgive our sins and become part of our life. But there's others today, and perhaps God's spoken to you about agendas, about self-promotion, about self-centeredness. And you say, God, I want to come and build an altar in my heart. Today, my prayer is for your kingdom to come in my life. I ask for revelation of your kingdom, of your majesty and glory, of a coming great day when this world will be transformed. And 
day all creation is longing for. And yet, Lord, I pray for you to touch me now. Would you do that? Let's just stand as we flow together and flow into a song, just honoring the name of our God and Father. And maybe some just want to come and build an altar and say, Lord, I repent of self-seeking and selfishness, of trusting myself rather than trusting you. And I turn today, say, Christ, be king of my life. Would you do that? Just come. Perhaps for some of you, you've just done your own thing. It's been about you and God, or it's been about you and your ministry, or about you and whatever. You say, God, I've forgotten I'm part of a body. I've forgotten about loving people and serving people. Perhaps you need to come and say, Jesus, today I hear your voice. Perhaps there's others today and you say, God, I need your touch. If some today need breakthrough in jobs, you should come. Why don't we just come? Will we come as we sing now? Just people that needing to come. Perhaps you need someone to agree with you or someone to pray with you. Let's do that right now.